Good morning, and welcome to Teach the Word. Today's topic, or it's going to be a sermon, a short sermon on prayer. Let's begin with prayer. <laughs> kind of ironic. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask for your power to be at work in our lives. I ask that you would anoint me to be able to preach your word right now, and that you would anoint the hearts of those who are listening and their ears to be receptive to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, the text is um, Daniel 9. It's a prayer of Daniel. So let's read uh, Daniel 9, verses 1 through 19. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, uh, let me just pull up. The, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood um, by the books the number of years specified by the prophet th through the Lord, specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Then I set my face towards the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O oh Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O oh Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heaven I lost my place. For under the whole heaven, somewhere here. That he might turn us from our iniquities and understand our truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind, brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he has done, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name, as it is written this day, we have sinned and have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and our iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around them. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O Lord, my God, incline your ear and see 
uh, and hear, open your eyes and see our desolation in the city, which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplication before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay. For your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Wow, so that is hard to read when you scroll. I'm going to try to figure out how to change the settings on that so you can click like the turning of a page. So that's the prayer of David. Um, we're just going to look at some general observations, uh, what we can learn about prayer from looking at this prayer. Um, you'll notice that um, he is praying, the, the prophet Daniel is praying according to Scripture. So if you see... Uh, particularly in verse 2 of the prayer, he says <clears throat> that he, in the first year of his reign, I, Dan Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. He's actually been reading scripture, the, the scroll of Jeremiah, which <clears throat> we have today in uh, Jeremiah 25, 8 through 11. This is basically what he was reading. Jeremiah 25, 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, against those nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them astonishment, a hissing, a perpetual desolation. Therefore, I will take from them the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstone, the light of the lamp, and this whole land shall be a desolation, which shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. That is uh, exactly what uh, Daniel is praying uh, about. It's been 70 years, and it's time. the time is up for them to be serving the king of Babylon. He's praying, God, bring about change. And um, the uh, later on in the prayer, so that was verse 2, he's praying according to Scripture, but in verse... Uh, if we go down verse 12, he's citing the Mosaic law, right? He says, I guess it's, it's verse 13. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. So he's talking about where it says in the law of Moses in, in, Le, in Leviticus 26, uh, very clearly, you know, but if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, that's Leviticus 26, 14. He says, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, that's going to happen. You go down to the end of that passage, down to verse uh, 33, and I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate, your cities waste, which is exactly the situation that the children of Israel are in uh, currently. And Daniel's praying for God to reverse it to make a change um so that's one thing prayer according to scripture daniel's praying his prayers his motivation to pray is the scripture he's been reading and in his prayer he's referencing and citing scripture uh <clears throat> another thing we notice in this prayer is there is a very high level of earnestness and seriousness if you look at verse three he's talking about uh mourning and uh and fasting uh, where is it? Verse 3. I set my face towards the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. So he's, he's 
are very earnest about this prayer. There's no flippancy in, in it. Um, another observation is that, that he, he is praising God in the prayer. Verse 4, we have, And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O oh, great, O oh, Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and his mercy with those who love him and keep those who keep his commandments. So he, that's his opening line, his praise. And then, after that opening line, there was a long confession. The next 10, verse 5, all the way through verse 15, which is the, the bulk of the prayer, is he's confessing the sins of the nation of Israel. Confession. And then you get down to, to the, the closing part of the prayer, the last three verses. That's where he makes his entreaty. You know, Lord, please act on our behalf. We, we've, we've sinned. We've rebelled against you. But you, you, you made this promise in Jeremiah that, we were only going to be scattered, and the land was only going to be desolate for 70 years. So 70 years is up. Bring us back, O oh Lord. It's a very short entreaty. Um, and the, the thing that's phenomenal about the, the entreaty is God is primary. If you look at the, at the, at the we'll just read the entreaty. O oh Lord, according to your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and for the, and the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are reproached all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. For the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O Lord, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. The city and, and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God. For your city and your people are called by your name. So the, the petition, the entreaty, is holding up God as primary and man as very, very much uh, a secondary thing. The, the requests are for God to act. Um, not, not for Jeremiah, not for the people of Israel, but for God's own reputation that God's reputation be not called into question because of God, who God is. It's all about God, the, the requests. So what's the challenge for us? Well, we, I'm not going to take the prayer of Daniel in Daniel 9 and say this is how um, every prayer we pray ought to be. It ought to follow this format. But we, we can take this prayer in Daniel 9 and say this is a good prayer. This is a good format. And it's a, we can model prayers after this, and they, and 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 it'd be, they, they would that, it's a good thing to do. Um, you know, I'm co convicted by the prayer of Daniel here in Daniel nine when I look at my own prayer life <clears throat> in light of this prayer, because <clears throat> my prayers are I'm primary in my prayers. So I have a prayer journal. If I look uh, in my prayer journal in contrast to this prayer in Daniel nine. Um, though the, my prayers are appallingly human centered there, it's, it's predominantly, you know, prayer for me, that God would help me through my day, that he'd do this and that. And I'm in the center of the prayer, his glory, um, his honor, his great name is not the center of the prayer. Um, so this is the challenging question we have before us. What would God do with a people who are fervently praying for his sake, for his glory, centering their prayers around his word, his plans, and his purposes for what he is doing in the earth, rather than centering our, their prayers around themselves, praying somewhat half-heartedly for their own desires, according to their own plans and purposes. That's the question. What, what could be the potential for the church of Jesus Christ if our prayers were 
tenaciously God-centered rather than human-centered, us-centered. Um, I, I feel that my own morning prayer time is, is in many ways a failure uh, through the years. I was reading recently this uh, book by uh, Glenn Hanna, who's a missions pastor in the Alliance, and he wrote a book, uh, Building Missionaries, Fostering Souls for Success. And he talks about this concept called lap time, where uh, uh, he makes it, uh, an analogy to his grandchildren, where they come over and they can crawl up into his lap and sit there. And then they talk, they might say this, they might say that, or they might say nothing. Um, but the, the conversation is really inconsequential. It's the uh, time in grandpa's lap. And he makes that analogy to, to our prayer life, that if our prayer life isn't lap time, if we're not kind of basking in our Father, Heavenly Father's lap um, and enjoying him talking back and forth, but the purpose isn't the conversation. The purpose is being with the Father. Um, that's that concept of lap time. If we're not doing that, then uh, we're kind of in trouble health-wise for our souls. And and he, he talks about in his book how it pans out that when he's, he's pastoring missionaries and anytime he's dealing with missionaries that are really struggling, their prayer life, personal prayer life, their lap time is severely lacking. And when he challenges them, the, the turnaround is quite remarkable when he challenges people to, they're either, they're, they're, they're already, you know, we're going to quit. We're, we're coming off the field. We're not going to be doing this anymore. And he starts working with them and challenges them to, to do lap time and, and the turnaround to God starting to move on the field. And, and, and the place they're in when they're implementing a practice of prayer, uh, is remarkable. And he talks about that in his book. So the question is, um, you know, here, God, God is powerfully working, uh, through prayer. So what is going on in prayer? And that's part of what we actually see on uh, the curtain kind of pulled back in the book of Daniel. Uh, there's a battle for prayer. Satan does not want the people of God praying, and he will fight to get me, you, every believer everywhere to not be praying. And where prayer is going on, uh, the work of God, <clears throat> doors open for the work of God in, uh, on the mission field. Um, and the reason for this is there's an unseen realm. There's an unseen realm uh, behind the physical that we see, but <clears throat> in the book of Daniel, we get a window into this unseen realm. Um Things are going on in the unseen realm in response to prayer. So if you, Daniel, uh, if you continue in Daniel 9, like Daniel 9, the rest of the chapter, so that's uh, 20 through 27, uh, the angel Gabriel shows up um, while Daniel's still praying. You know, he's flying swiftly, it says in verse 21. And he explains um, what God meant by the 70 years prophecy of Jeremiah and, and you know, unpacks it as it's really... Uh, not uh, 70 years, but 70 sevens of years, or you know, mathematically 490 years. Um, and then he, un he lays out like a, a, one of the most powerful messianic prophecies in the Bible, which is used to date the coming of the Messiah to around the time of Jesus. And uh, uh, Jewish people have actually come to faith in Jesus Christ through that prophecy. Um, the guy who started the organization, uh, I think it's Jews for Jesus. No, that's not it. There's another organization that, in, in New York City that the guy who started it came to faith from reading Daniel 9. Anyways, 
that's not important here. Then the next three chapters of Daniel. So Daniel 9 is, is uh, <clears throat> this prayer, and the angel Gabriel shows up. In Daniel 10 through 12, the next three chapters, there's an unnamed angel who shows up. We don't know if it's Gabriel or not. Just He's not named. And he shows up in response to Daniel's deep 21-day mourning over a weighty vision he's had. So Daniel has a vision. And it's 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 heavy on him, and he's he's in a state of mourning, presumably all fasting and mourning, because that seems to be what they they do culturally when they're mourning. And on the twenty one days into that, this unnamed uh, angel shows up. Now the difference between Daniel nine and Daniel ten through eleven is Daniel nine is is dated by the first verse as as in Darius, the year one of Darius of King Darius, and Daniel ten. Uh, through 12 is dated as year three of King Cyrus. Um, the dating in Daniel is a little confusing because it's disputed exactly who Darius is because he doesn't really show up in any of the Persian king lists. Uh, some people say that <clears throat> it's actually Darius and Cyrus are the same person, like Darius is a throne name for Cyrus, or that Darius is a regent, regional ruler over the over the province of Babylon and his, his office is in Babylon and he's ruling at the same time as Cyrus. And so, so the dates, like year one of Cyrus and year one of Darius, are the same. That that's kind of the consensus that most people have. But it's not that important, you know. The chronology isn't that important. What's important is that the uh, the dating of the Daniel nine prayer, and then the next three chapters, there's a there's a year gap, or it, uh, could be it's at least three years because it's either from year one of of Darius Cyrus to year three of Darius Cyrus, or or they're two different kings and there's a longer gap. But it's it's a time gap. But the important thing about uh, it is not the time gap, but uh, how in the latter period, 10 through uh, 12, the angel who shows up references back to the, the time that Daniel made this prayer in year one of Darius. He makes the reference back to year one um, to something that happened, you know, a shift that happened in the heavenlies at the time Daniel's making this prayer related to the content of Daniel's prayer. Um, so you really see into the uh, the spiritual realm with this prayer. So if we if we like like uh, if we read ten through uh, ch uh, chapter ten, twelve through fourteen, just go. You see, the angel, this unnamed angel, says to Daniel, "Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me." 21 days. Behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I have been left there alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. So you see that this guy, this, this angel, this spiritual being, was dispatched on day one of Daniel's mourning period. So right after he had the vision, and he was really worried about it. But somehow in the heavenlies, he got hung up. He got withstood by spiritual opposition, and and you know another angel, Michael here, has to come and uh, and help him out. And then these these heavenly beings are are labeled as uh, princes of of phys there's like an overlay on the physical because there's a physical kingdom of Persia, there's a physical uh, kingdom of our nation of Israel, and Michael is is the chief prince, one of the chief princes. Oh, it doesn't, it doesn't, I guess the next passage identifies him as the prince of, of Israel. So you got 
princes of Persia, kings of Persia, these heavenly beings, right? So then, uh, basically, this this uh, guy's dispatched on day one of Daniel's morning, but he's detained. And then if you if we jump down to the end of chapter ten, the beginning of chapter eleven, um, you see some more into this window of what's going on warfare wise. So let's just read. But I will tell you, verse 21 of chapter 10, I will tell you what, what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. So that's where Michael's identified as prince of the people of Israel. Your prince is not your personal Daniel, but your plural, your people. So it's you plural. Uh, your prince. Also, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, uh, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will tell you the, the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. I'm, I'm preaching, honey. I can't go get her. Can you go get her? So basically what you see here is the... Uh, I'm evil, Dad. I got the wrong references here. I should have read 21 from 21. Do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. So that's verse 20. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. So you see the <clears throat> the princes. You got the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece, the prince of the Daniel's people who are uh, Israel. And then you have... The, who's, who's named is Michael, and then you have this unnamed angel. And you got this warfare going on. And then you have the reference in verse 1 to three years earlier, or more, depending on how you do your chronology, up to the first year of Darius the Mede, when this angel, this, who's unnamed angel, who's speaking to Daniel, at that time, when Daniel was making that prayer about God restoring the nation of Israel, it's at that time that this unnamed angel stood up to confirm and strengthen Michael, the prince of the of the nation of Israel. So when Daniel's praying three years earlier, at that time in the heavenlies, by God's appointment, this unnamed angel is is given a task of supporting the prince, the the chief prince, the you know the ruling angel of the people of Israel, um, because in response to Daniel's prayer about. The honey, I'm, I need the microphone. In response to Daniel's prayer about uh, the nation of Israel being restored to their land, so it's three years after he makes that prayer that he he, he learns about what stuff that's been happening in the heavenlies as a result of that prayer. And there's fighting and warfare going on. You know, they got the 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 Grecian the Grecian kingdom, but then there's a spiritual overlay on that, and the Persian kingdom and a spiritual overlay, and the Israeli kingdom and a spiritual overlay. So, um, basically, um, the idea is that what's playing out on an earthly political plane, there's there's an overlay, there's something also going on in the unseen realm, and uh, spiritual activity on top of it, and prayer very much affects that. I mean, if we were to take Daniel... Uh, if we were to try to modernize this into the present, right? Try to, you know, in Daniel's day, there was war going on between these kingdoms, Greece and Persia. So if we were to like modernize the language to our present day, we would say something like, you know, uh, you know, Russia's invading the Ukraine, and we see that in the seen realm, but in the unseen realm, you know, something like the the prince of Russia 
is uh, you know assaulting the prince of uh, of the Ukraine, and the prince of the Ukraine is withstanding him. That's kind of the the idea of the language. It kind of sounds funny to our ears, but uh, in Daniel's day, this may have been more of how they were thinking. Um, so, what's all this mean? So, how, so if, if something like this is going on in the spiritual realm, in response to prayer or interplaying with prayer, what's the application? Um, how do we apply this to what's it mean for us? Um, the standing up and the political warfare language, you know, I'm going to stand and support this angel and, you know, the, the political nations in the warfare. The, uh, the, the, the warfare and the standing we see in, the, in a New Testament passage in Ephesians 6. So if we were to flip over to Ephesians 6 real quick. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then there's a list. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand Daddy, against the wiles of the devil. Noah, I'm preaching. You can't. You can't have anything against the wiles Dad. of the devil. For we will. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the Dad, rulers Dad. of the darkness of this Dad, age, Daddy. against the spiritual hosts of wickedness um, in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all. To stand, stand therefore, having girded yourself, your waist with truth, having put on the blessed plate of righteousness. I just want to point out how many times the word stand up is used there and how it's talking about the spirit, spiritual powers, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness, right? Just like this unnamed angel is telling Daniel that he took his stand in that first year of Darius when Daniel was praying to support... Michael, the prince of the children of Israel. I'm just going to put no on the other room. Uh, so, very similar uh, description of Paul to a warfare in the heavenlies, right? He's talking about armor and, and standing. Very similar language to what we saw in Daniel. And then if you go uh, down to the end, he lists the, the armor of God. But if you go down to the end, he says, verse 18, he, he talks about, uh, so let's read 17. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, and all perseverance and supplication for the saints. So he's, he's pairing the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, with prayer. So, Take, take the sword of the Spirit, praying always, just like Daniel did. He, he, he incorporated Scripture into his prayer, Jeremiah 25, Leviticus 26, into his prayer, praying always with all prayer and supplication. The, the warfare in the heavenlies, standing up, and prayer, all in one spot uh, in, in Ephesians 6. So you see um, that the fight is not physical at all. Um, and you see the praying in, in Ephesians 6. And then if you look at 2 Corinthians 10, you have a very similar uh, theme to, to uh, Ephesians 6. You have, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty for God in pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 
You have uh, the the wrestling, the struggle, just like in Ephesians 6, not against flesh and blood, but against high things. This this passage, it's uh, uh, thought strongholds, you know, ideologies, strong uh, arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. Um, and, you know, in our world today, this is very applicable because there's a whole lot of ideologies uh, that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. We don't have to look far at all to find them. We have, you know, the abortion lobby, the LGBTQ agenda, you know, the proliferation of magic, arts, and witchcraft, and, you know, you just in any, you know, the Disney movie or, or anywhere, uh, we see that. Um, and there's, I, these ideologies uh, abound, and, and they, they have tenets, principles, dogmas in, in these ideologies that are overtly um, contrary to the admonitions to the believer in Scripture. So we actually come against those ideologies every day. And we are really, really naive if we do not realize that these thought systems are energized by principalities and powers of darkness. And uh, somehow, in some way, our prayer life as the people of God mobilizes angelic resistance that prevents these thought strongholds from growing and forces them into retreat. Just like what we saw in that window opening in, in Daniel with what was going on politically with, with the kingdoms of Greece and Persia. Prayer affects what goes on around us in some way that we don't actually uh, understand. So like, if you think about it, whole people groups, like, you know, the people of your town, uh, you know, there's a little, there might be a little difference between them and the Greeks and the Persians or the Israelites who, uh, who had angelic powers, whether good or bad, that have sway over them. Um, <clears throat> Deuteronomy uh, 32.8 uh, has a variant reading in the Septuagint and in the Dead Sea Scrolls that very much seems to support this concept. So if we looked, when the Most High divided, the, this is talking about the nations, divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set their boundaries of the people according to the number of the children of. So it's either children of Israel here, but in the variant, the variant is according to the uh, angels of God. So sons of Israel or sons of God. Okay, she woke up. So that's supporting this idea that people groups have have been, you know, allocated to various principalities and powers, the angels, the, the sons of God. You know, it's it's just a a variant reading. It may not be the correct reading. Um, but the point is it's very similar, the concept there in that variant reading is very similar to what's going on what what is portrayed in Daniel ten through eleven with angelic beings being uh talked about as holding sway over people groups on earth like there's a there's an overlay and it's not that far-fetched to think that there's angelic beings and an overlay that holds sway over people groups right now today over you know your town and my town and our your state and my state and your city your, my city and, and just like that and um just like in daniel's day when daniel prayed in daniel 9 it affected warfare that was going on between those beings. Our prayers today have the the power, the potential to have that same uh, effect. 
So somehow, in some ways, the prayers of the people of God affect angelic warfare so that the eyes of our neighbors are open to the light of the gospel or their faces are shrouded in darkness. You know, there's there's two ways to go spiritually. So I'm in no way saying that we can control outcomes or that we can save and damn souls through our prayers. I'm only saying that there is some biblical evidence for widespread unseen spiritual activity and that biblical and biblical evidence for the prayers of the people of God affecting this activity and biblical evidence that our prayers that prayer evidence for the prayers of the people of God how the interplay works is a mystery but in some unknown way our prayer affects the angelic activity in the unseen realm um, consider Hebrews 1 14 it's basically what this verse says it says uh, oops, sorry, 114. Are they not all ministering spirits? This is about angels. The whole chapter one is about angels. Are they not all ministering spirits set forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? That's talking about the angelic hosts all being ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who, are, who will inherit salvation. That's, that's a different view of life than we typically uh, conceive of, right? Angels are in some way about us all and involved in the plans and purposes of God for our lives in a way that we don't see. Um, but it's really important not to miss the point of Hebrews 1, which is uh, that angels are in the background. They take a back seat. That's why we don't think about them. There's a reason why we're not thinking about angels, because Christ takes the front seat. He occupies our imagination, our affection. Jesus Christ has the preeminence. The entire point of Hebrews chapter 1 is that he is much better, so much greater, so much more glorious than the angels. Um, therefore, he must occupy our attention, interest, and imagination. In fact, <clears throat> Paul warns in the New Testament about uh, there's a great danger, he says, in angel fascination, in too much preoccupation or interest in angels. Um, and he's, he gives that warning uh, in Colossians 2, Colossians 2, 18 through 19, he says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase which is from God. See how he says, Don't worship angels, focus on the head, focus on Christ. So that's a, that's a danger that he needed to warn people about. So, on the one level, uh, Satan's game is to distract us and delude us and to make us to cause us to think uh, of the world in purely a physical sense and not pray in a way that would affect the spiritual realm. Um, and another, another error and another game of Satan is to get us way too preoccupied with the spiritual realm and with the angels and to not focus on Christ who holds the preeminent position, not the angels that are all around us doing what they do as ministers of God to execute his plans and purposes. Um, so <clears throat> there are two equal opposite errors, basically. So <clears throat> accepting the, the worldview of scientific materialism that, you know, there is no physical, there, there, the physical is all there is, is an equally bad error because the Bible portrays a robust unseen and active unseen realm. So here's my closing challenge for us. Pray. And pray with the knowledge of an unseen realm. Do not pray under the delusion of scientific materialism as if 
there was no spiritual activity going on all around us. Um, because A, it's the enemy's game to get us to not pray. And B, it's the enemy's game to hurt our, uh, uh, hurt, uh, he wants us to not pray because that hurts him, hurts his plans and purposes, but because God moves on behalf of our prayers. And, and B, it's the enemy's game to get us to, uh, to not pray, uh, effectively. So maybe, so to, to get our prayers me-centered, human-centered. Um, so, so what's the challenge? I want to challenge each of us to set an alarm tonight for Monday morning and to set it 15, whatever, even five minutes earlier than you would have set your alarm, than you set your alarm last Sunday night. Because I want you to get up earlier and I want you to stand up and I want you to pray. Start somewhere, no matter how small, even if it's only five minutes. And I want you to dedicate time to prayer. If you're like me, don't sit down. Get up and walk around or you'll fall back asleep if you're sitting or even if you're kneeling. And certainly don't, don't trick yourself like I have done many times into thinking that you'll, you can stay lying in bed and not fall back asleep because that's not going to happen. You're going to fall back asleep. So if you're like me, at least. So let us all make a decision right now in our hearts that tomorrow morning we're going to get up whatever time we decide. You start however small, 15 minutes, a half hour, five minutes, it don't matter. You're going to get up that much earlier and you're going to spend that time in lap time with God praying Him-centered prayers. And and we're, and try to, I want to challenge us to use Daniel 9 as a model. So, because um, remember, if the enemy can't stop us from praying, he's going to try to kind of get our mess with the focus of our prayer you know so praise god repent and then pray scripturally pray his will as revealed in scripture and make god primary in the prayer pray for his sake not for our own sake spend time in your father's lap heavenly father just come before you ask for it myself and every one of us listening that that you would empower and enable us as your people to pray, to pray like Daniel prayed in Daniel 9, to pray daily, to pray more effectively. Lord God, we come before you. We need you for your sake, for your name, for your people. Make your people uh, holy for your sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining.